Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoy today's message. What I'd like to share with you is going to start out uh, with two major passages of Scripture, and then, Lord willing, afterwards, uh, a little bit of explanation about these passages of Scripture. So if you have your Bibles, um, Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 1 up through verse 8, and then immediately afterwards... Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. Here's what it says, Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 1 in the New King James Version. Rob Shaul, Paul the Apostle, wrote this. He said, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Ruach, the Spirit, in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Ruach, one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one immersion, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each one of us, Grace was given according to the measure of Messiah's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. And now also the reading from the book of Romans, chapter 12, beginning with verse 3 through verse 8. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Yeshua and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, Let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. These two passages of Scripture that I just read are indicative indicative of how Rav Shaul, how Paul the Apostle, I like to call him Rav Shaul, which means Rabbi Saul, how Rabbi Saul or Rav Shaul, how he perceived the Messianic believers of his day. 
He saw Messianic believers, according to these passages we just read, he saw the Messianic believers of his day as people who had been touched by the Holy Spirit. He saw the Messianic believers of his day as recipients of God's grace. He saw the Messianic believers of his day as unique individuals of faith. He saw Messianic believers of his day as called with a like calling to one another. He saw Messianic believers of his day as gifted for doing the will and the purpose of God. He saw Messianic believers of his day as unified in their diversity, unified, He saw Messianic believers of his day as having Yeshua or Jesus as head over their community. He saw the Messianic believers of his day as recognizing overall the sovereignty of God himself. Now, Ephesians 4 and Romans 12 that we've read a snippet of, really, just several verses from, They also contain exhortations, such as in Ephesians 4, there was this exhortation, if you noticed it when we were reading it, quote, walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, end quote. And in Romans 12, basically he said, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. And then he exhorted them, and he said, but think soberly. Another way to say that would be, think clearly, clearly. And truth be told, when we think about it, we may have correct views on theology. We may have correct views on other things in life. But it is still possible to miss the mark due to an inner attitude that we might have an inner attitude that would hinder us, that would uh, thwart the move of God in our lives, an inner attitude that would hinder us rather than help us live our daily lives in accordance with God's Word. And to just clarify what I'm saying here and for your consideration, that sometimes you may meet or maybe you or I have been this, a person that can quote all the right scriptures, but they're not quite, how do I say it kindly, living by them. Now, there is a big theological term for that. <laughs> it's called hypocrisy. Can quote all the right words, maybe even sign the theological dotted line, and I am all for correct theology. It's absolutely critical in this day of doctrines of demons and other things, false teaching. But we also must be able to live, live our daily lives, the present things that what you faced this past week in your life, be able to live each day in accordance with the Lord's prescription for our life. That's critical. How many would agree that's critical to be able to live it out? Not just hash it out and argue it out. I mean, there's a place for apologetics, and apologetics does not mean apologizing over everything. That means giving the correct answer. But we need to be able to live it. And, you know, Rav Shaul may have been thinking of passages that we find in Mishle Shlomo and the Proverbs of Solomon. For example, this one that many of you can probably quote, Proverbs chapter 27, verse 3, the very first statement is, for as he thinks in his heart... So is he. 
How he thinks in his heart, so is he. And there are other passages in Proverbs that mirror that idea. But our lives are, can I say, there's a dailiness to our lives. There's a day-to-dayness to our lives. And theology is one thing, but practical theology is another thing. So besides speaking to the Romans with passages which we began with and the Ephesians with passages which we began this message with, I want to remind you of several other things Rob Shaul said, what he wrote, what Paul the Apostle wrote to other communities. And I think as I read these passages, as we review these passages, you'll realize there's quite a bit of symmetry in his message. That which he said to the Romans, that which he said to the Ephesians, and in this case, how about Philippians chapter 2? There's symmetry here. Philippians chapter 2, verse 2. Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Verse 3 is challenging. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition, or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. The idea here is not to be a yenta being about everybody's business. The idea is to look out for the good of other people. And sometimes that means bringing a gentle word of correction. Other times that may mean a pat on the back. Other times that means zipping it when you want to really spout out something. God seems to have his way to get across to us in our daily life how we should be acting, how we should be responding to those things that come into our life. And how about this passage in Colossians chapter 3? Again, there's such symmetry what he said to each community. Colossians 3 verse 12 As the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, put on kindness, put on humility, put on meekness. Did you notice that it doesn't say weakness? It says meekness. Put on meekness. Put on long-suffering, bearing with one another, and... Say it with me, please. Forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Yeshua forgave you, notice how this is expressed by the apostle. So you also must do. There's this strong emphasis on you got to forgive. You must forgive. And I believe, and I think you would agree, that he had the best interests the best interests of the, the believers in Colossae in mind when he said that. You need to forgive, he said. He also exhorted the Corinthians in chapter 8, beginning with verse 2. He said, if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. Have you ever met a know-it-all? <laughs> If anyone thinks he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But, but if anyone loves God, are there any lovers of God here today? (laughs) Well, then you're in this scripture. 
your name's there. If you're a real lover of God, if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. That means if you're a lover of God and you're going through your daily life with all the practical things that come to you, you are known by him. And I'm sure if we went around this auditorium today and asked for testimonies, there would be testimonies of how God was able to lead you through a tough situation, how he was able to provide for you in ways that you had not anticipated, how he was able to do something deep in your heart that you didn't think could happen. Sometimes it is in the realm of forgiveness. Sometimes it is in the realm of generosity. Sometimes it is in the realm of being anointed to give good counsel to your friend or your family member or your child. If anyone loves God, this one, that person, is known by him. Friends, he knows you today. He knows your walk this past week. He knows everything you faced this past week. He knows what we went through. And he loves you. And that's not just a trite statement. That is an eternal truth. If you love him, he knows you. I'm sure that around this sanctuary today also, there is full agreement among us as believers, full agreement that, how, that there's a desirability of daily living, of daily living out these very principles that Rav Shaul alludes to in the passages such as we read. And there are many more, by the way. That there's agreement among us that the, the goal is to live these things out. When he talks about being humble, to walk in humility. When he talks about loving and forgiving, to do that. That it's more than just theology for us, and theology is good but that we're actually what might be called living with practical theology. Theology and practice there. I think we all would agree that we should be humble. How many agree we should be humble? How many are proud that you agree with about that? <laughs> we agree we should be humble. And we agree we should take good spiritual care of ourselves and also be concerned for the spiritual well-being of others. We agree with that idea. Some of you maybe in this week had some challenges at the workplace, at the home place, and had to do with some of the spiritual things that you feel needs to be, need to be worked out in that situation. We agree that we should work closely with others in the body of the Messiah and fulfill God's purposes. I think we would agree on that. We agree we should treat others well. And we agree that we should treat others with the respect and dignity that's due to them as human beings created in the image of God. We agree with these kind of principles. They're important to us. And my guess here today is that we all would acknowledge that we need the help of the Holy Spirit in all this. How many of you agree with that? You need the help of the Ruach HaKodesh. We all do. We need it in an ongoing manner. We want to, to walk in the Spirit yesterday, today, tomorrow. That's a goal for us, to walk in the Spirit. In fact, it's a commandment of the new covenant mentioned in more than one place. Walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, it says in Galatians. And we agree with these principles. It reminds me of when I was starting Bible college as a young man. 
And I soon realized that I got into Bible college, actually within the first week of Bible college, I soon realized that there was no lack of theology circulating through the hall room and through the, you know, the, the, the classrooms. There was no lack of theology circulating in those classrooms coming from the bema from the pulpit. And we studied Paul's epistles, and we studied a full year on the book of Romans verse by verse. We explored the Pentateuch. The name of the class was the Pentateuch. That's a Greek way to say what? Torah, the Torah. We explored the Pentateuch, and we had courses on apologetics, and we had courses on eschatology, and we had courses on pneumatology. Yet other than Hebrew, which I was also taken at the time, which was my favorite, <laughs> the class that I found most compelling in my Bible school years, the class that was most compelling and was also extremely challenging to me personally. And it was inspirational at the same time as it was challenging in my young life at that time. It was not any of the theology courses. But there was one particular course that really got me. Challenged, inspired, uh, the whole gamut. I found a class, and I took a class, that had this name. The name of this class was Practical Theology. (laughs) Not only was it the most challenging but it was the one that was most put into fact as soon as the class got over with. We were taught some of the theological premises, some of what we've mentioned here today, the readings from Corinthians and Romans and Colossians and Thessalonians and Timothy and Titus and some of those things from the Brit Chadashah, from the New Covenant, but it couldn't be just theology, as good as theology is. As soon as the door closed and the class was over with, it became practical. In fact, that was the name of the class, Practical Theology. How do you put these things into practice? Practical Theology. And the things we would go over in that Practical Theology class would pop up immediately afterwards when I went to work. I had to work my way through school. As I went to work, there it would pop up, the very things we talked about in that class. Just seemed to pop up. And I was amazed. There was this uncanny tendency of everything that the professor spoke suddenly being on the board afterwards. It was uncanny. And as I interacted with fellow students, there it was. Some of the things we had been going through. Some of the new covenant commandments we're supposed to be following, etc. There it was. And it was there. I had several odd roommates in our dorm. I mean, odd. (laughs) And practical theology came in. How do you deal with that? You may know all the theological premises, but you have a real person there. You may be able to list all the theology, but how do you deal with that person there? And it was very challenging. You see, we dealt well with the theology during the class, 
But as I mentioned, after the bell rang and we left that class, that's when the rubber hit the road. That's when it came out. And it was uncanny. And in our lives, in the classroom of our lives, we really do, by God's grace and by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we really do need to live out the principles of God's words. We need to live that out. That's important for us. That's practical theology. That's theology in practice. We need to live that out. We have to make real-life decisions. Maybe some of you, even this week, had to make some important decisions in your life. We have to make real-life decisions. At times, we have to come up with a useful plan of how to use our time or how to project our time to the future. Other times, we have to deal with keeping a schedule. Not everyone's on time. Not everyone's late either. (laughs) But keeping a schedule so that others can count on you so that you're there when you're supposed to be there. We have to go, go through that in our lives. We have to accomplish what we should in a given day. And I know I'm going to be very, uh, how do I say, I'm going to talk about work right now <laughs> on Shabbat. Forgive me. <laughs> but sometimes I have to figure out when do I have time to mow the lawn at my house. Now, you may not have to mow the lawn at your house, but you may have something else you need to figure out. When will I have time to cook dinner? When will I have time to visit with a friend? When will I have time to go to my neighbor and help him or her with their task? You have to figure that out. That's practical, practical stuff. You can't really quote verses about it, but it dovetails into the theology of the new covenant of the Tanakh in general. And doing all those things, those practical things in life, and yet glorifying God in the midst of it all. My odd roommates at Bible college. Now they might have looked at me and thought I was odd too. (laughs) But my odd roommates at Bible college, I had to deal with them. One of them was scared to death of snakes. And the other roommate just happened to bring, after he visited his home, he happened to bring back a snake to our apartment. And I heard this blast of yelling and screaming in the, uh, the room across from my room. And this big guy was up against the wall like this. And the other guy, who was actually my actual roommate, was holding a snake in front of him. And this is not going to sound very theological, but the guy who was up against the wall then blurted out something that I know is against Scripture, and he said, I'm going to kill you. How many think that's contrary to Scripture? (laughs) And then we found out afterwards, true story, found out afterwards that the reason this man was so scared of snakes was that when he grew up in, I believe it was Mississippi, his best friend died from a snake bite as he was growing up, and he never kind of got over that there. I mean, those kind of things. Now, that's an unusual situation, but maybe you've had some unusual situations in your life you've had to deal with. Now, you can't quite find chapter and verse. You know what the principles are, then you have to apply the principles of Scripture to your everyday life. That's practical theology. That's putting your beliefs into action there. 
In Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, Paul describes it. He says, and I'm paraphrasing, obediently work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. The word obedience is critical. By the way, he continues in verse 13 in Philippians chapter 2, and it's a very well-known and oft-repeated verse. He says, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. How many of you like that passage of Scripture? Well, just to be fair, let's look at the next passage too, at least the beginning part. After it says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure, then there's this, the very next thing. It's one of the over thousand New Testament commandments. It says, do all things without complaining and grumbling. Do how many things? Do all things. How many of you believe that that involves some practical theology, if I could use that term? Putting your belief into practice. You know what it says here. Putting it into practice. In keeping with the idea of a practical approach to everyday life. That's connected to the truths of Scripture, never separated from the truths of Scripture. Our practicality must be connected to the truths of Scripture. I want to conclude by offering 10 bits of advice, if I might. 10 bits of advice for us as we journey down the messianic road of life. And each of these bits of advice... They're all scriptural, and they're all supported by a plethora of scripture. And they're meant to go along with us. They're meant to help us in our walk of faith and grace, or grace and faith. Just some practical ideas. And, you know, I realize at this time, some of these, you may say, well, that, that doesn't apply to me, or I don't know if I like that, or I don't know if I agree with that. But just, just hear me out, please. You can sort through them on your own, but hear me out, please. Because these are some of the things that, you know, may be helpful for us. For example, here's practical bit or tip number one. Number one, no matter what decision you make at any time or in any given situation, do not let that decision pull you farther away from the Lord. or participation in his kingdom, in his community. I want to say that again. It's the longest one on my list. It's a very important one. When you're in the process of making a decision about your life, don't just look at it about what's happening on the horizontal level, but please look at it for the vertical level as well. So no matter what decision you make at any time or in any given situation you face, do not let that decision pull you farther away from the Lord. The converse is try to make your decision bring you closer to the Lord and more into service, more into connection with the community, not farther away. And here's a second one. Practical tip number two. Make sure you do not compromise your personal integrity. Don't compromise it. Strive to be dignified in all that you say and do publicly 
or privately. Again, make sure you do not compromise your personal integrity. Strive to be dignified in all that you say and do publicly or privately. And here's a third practical tip. Right from Scripture, really. Number three, keep your heart with all diligence. Your heart can be affected by life circumstances as you walk down that daily road of messianic life, believing in the Messiah. You can be, your heart, the inner, your inner person can be compact, can be impacted by circumstances. And the scripture tells us, it's actually a quote from the book of Mishlei, of Proverbs. It says to keep your heart with all diligence for out of it flow the issues of life. That can mean choosing to forgive. That can mean blessing instead of cursing. That can mean looking to God rather than trusting in man. That can mean trusting him day to day. For such things like that do impact our hearts. And number four, pray specifically for a mentor or mentors. I'm using a term that's common now, but pray specifically for the right type of people to interact with. I've never understood, because I haven't walked this way even in my life, how people can separate themselves from the believing community. I can't understand that. It's so important for us to be connected. Our Shabbat meetings, our, our Tuesday night, whatever meetings we have at the Sunday Zoom that Carl will be doing, it's so important for us to connect, to interact with one another, to, in a sense, disciple, mentor, teach, learn from, however one wants to say it. That's important. But did you notice the first word in this point four? Pray. Sometimes you don't have that interaction because you haven't asked the Lord for it. Or you have and you want to uh, you know, consume it upon your own lust, your own desires. But pray for his solution, that you'll have the right people. The, I use the term mentor or mentors. An individual, a person, a small group, a couple, a family. When I was in Bible college, I am so thankful for the Whitcombs. Hmm. Wow, I'm going to have to control my emotions. But this older married couple, I was a single guy at the time. I had moved many miles away from my home by myself. And this couple took me under their wing. You know what they did? They invited me for dinner. You know what else they did? They prayed over me. I did not know them from Adam the Chava, from Adam and Eve. I didn't know them. But they listened to the Lord about me, and I also was willing to respond. And they were critical in my life. Came to a very important decision in my life, and they had the word of the Lord at that time, and it was right on for me. And it happened over dinner time and over prayer time. It, my life would have changed totally different, and I don't believe it would have been for the best if I had followed my own inclinations. Pray for the right type of interactions. If you are lacking that now, part of it may be because of you. Unwillingness. 
or having the wrong desires. But pray, pray for him to give you the right person. And be, be available, by the way, to mentor others as the Lord leads you. Number five. I like this one. Number five. Be ready for God's provision. He provides in ways we often can't foresee. And I'm convinced that Abraham did not foresee a ram caught in the thicket by his shofars. But God provided. Adonai Yireh, the Lord sees, he provides. But be, be ready for God's provision. He may provide for you in an unusual manner you didn't expect. Are you receptive to an outside-of-your-box type of response from God? Are you receptive? We need to be because his ways are a little different than ours. How many agree with that? His ways are they're different than ours most of the time. Sometimes we have it to the, together with him. Number six, I won't say much about this. This is so evident from Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, the whole panoramic view of Scripture. Strive to grow in his holiness. You know, the book of Messianic Jews says that without holiness, without sanctification, notice the next statement. No one will see God. Without holiness, without sanctification, no one will see God. There's not an exception clause for you or me in this. We are called to holy living, set-apart living, sanctified living, and practical theology, the things we go through on a practical level where we're trying to apply the Word of God by the help of the Spirit is important for us to walk deeper into the way of holiness. Because without holiness, without that sanctification process, no one will see God. And number seven, <laughs> increase your prayer time. Increase your prayer time. Please don't decrease it. It's very easy as we start to grow in the Lord and we feel like our, our legs aren't quite as spiritually wobbly as they used to be, like we can do it on our own. Please strive to increase your prayer time. If you're praying one minute a day, go for two. If you're praying for 10 minutes a day, go for 11, 12, 15. And if you're not praying at all, repent. You are supposed to pray without ceasing and pray at all times. And there are opportunities in this service. There are opportunities on Tuesday night for community prayer. Our life should have both individual and community prayer. That's healthy. That's healthy for us. And if you can, learn to pray. Learn to pray alone. Learn to pray as a family. Maybe you're a married couple or a couple and you're not praying together. Start praying together. You don't have to uh, pray all the prayers that are in the Bible on the first sitting. But get the ball rolling. Start praying. Let your prayer time increase, not decrease. It's for your good and for the good of others around you. Because when we pray... Prayer tempers our hearts. What we do after a season of prayer is often very different than what, how we would have done it without a season of prayer. 
prayer tempers your heart. And that's, that's just from, uh, for your personal benefit or mine. Tempers our hearts, but also prayer serves to prepare us for what God has for us. The new covenant is abundant in its proof of that. For example, before Yeshua picks all his main followers, it says he went off alone and he prayed. What did he do at Gethsemane, at Gethsemane? He separated himself, it says he prayed. He was already been betrayed and they came and got him at Gethsemane. And he was praying, he separated himself. And you remember what happened? Peter was sleeping while Yeshua prayed. Peter was sleeping. Friends, increase your prayer time. Please don't decrease it. Because when you pray, you are actually inviting God into your life. When you pray about particular requests, you're inviting him, you're asking him, you're making a bakasha request to him to intervene in that circumstance that you're concerned about. Number eight of ten, it's only just five words. Be faithful in all things. Be faithful with your emotions, what you attach your emotions to. Be faithful with your words, how you use your words, your ability to communicate. It can be spoken words, it could be sign language, however it could be written, but be faithful with your words. Be faithful with your goals and make sure your goals in life are actually God's goals for you, godly goals for you. Be faithful with your finances, and remember, he's the Lord of that too. Be faithful also with your morals. And all of us are impacted by an increasingly decadent society around us, but strive to be faithful in that area with your morals. Because the more that you cultivate faithfulness in your life, the more you will become a beneficiary of his reciprocation. The more you sow faithfulness, the more you will reap. So sow it in your life. Number nine, three words this time. <laughs> it's tough, though. How many of you want to hear? It's only three words, but it's tough. Be ye thankful. King James Version. Be ye thankful. Let thanksgiving and the accompanying idea of praise, let those be the shields over your thought life. Let those be the things that come out of your mouth, of expression. Be thankful. Have a heart of thanksgiving. Have a heart that gives praise to God. Be thankful. Because if we will learn to be thankful, if we'll learn to be thankful, we will unlearn being ungrateful. We'll start getting rid of the ungratefulness. And the Word says, in everything give thanks. Doesn't say for everything, but in the midst of it all, give thanks to the Lord. It is good to give thanks to the Lord. Tov lehadot ladunai, zamer and to sing praises to your name, O Most High God. So if we'll learn to be thankful, we will begin unlearning ungratefulness in our lives. And we'll also probably get rid of some complaining. <laughs> constant negativity that some people live under and then we'll also probably get rid of just thinking about ourselves all the time 
be thankful. And lastly, number 10. Number 10. Serve the Lord with gladness. Are you glad to serve the Lord really deep down inside? Or is it a drudgery for you? Well, I've got to do this. I'm a believer, so I've got to do it. No, be glad. Be glad to serve the Lord with gladness. He pulled you out of the pit of hell. Did you catch that? He redeemed you from that pit. Be glad in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. All of, you, all of us rejoice in the Lord. Be glad for what he's done. And if you're not serving the Lord gladly today, how then are you serving him? How are you serving him? I can't answer that for you, nor, nor can you for me. But it tells us clearly to serve the Lord with gladness. And as I mentioned many times, it doesn't say serve the Lord with madness. It doesn't say serve the Lord with badness. It doesn't say serve the Lord with radness. It says serve the Lord with gladness. And I'll leave you with this passage of Scripture here. Because it seems like Melech David, King David, had a good beat on all this, didn't he? He seemed to know about gladness and joy and thankfulness. He was a man that just chased after God's heart. Well, here's one of the shorter psalms, and I want to read the whole psalm for you. No, it's not Psalm 119, I promise you that. But it's just Psalm 100. Please listen. You know what it says? Beginning with verse 1, Make a joyful shout, noise to the Lord, all you lands. I wonder if that includes the people of the United States of America. How many think it includes America? Yeah, I do. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. And I love this next statement. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. <laughs> if we will keep that in mind that we're his sheep, we'll do much better in life. Practical theology will work its way out there. But we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And then it says in verse 4 of Tehillim, Psalm 100, it says, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. Does that include our generation? It most certainly does. Let's pray. Avinu Sheba Shemaim, our Father in heaven. Thank you, O Lord, for the kindness you extend to us. Thank you, Lord, for your ruach, your spirit that helps us to practically step out, work out, walk out the good theology of your word. Lord, I pray for each person here, each person hearing these words. Lord, that you would intervene in a most noted way in those circumstances that seem beyond us, Lord, that you would intervene. 
in that decision that just seems so far out. How do we, how do we decide what should we do, Lord? Please help us. In that need of provision, both internal provision for our own being and provision material, Lord, we're thankful that you are good. You extend your hand. You satisfy the good desire of every living creature. Blessed be your name, O Lord. And we ask, Lord, that you will help us, that you'll fill us afresh with your Ruach, with your Ruach HaKodesh, so that we may not just speak, but also live according to your word. I ask these things in the merit of Yeshua. Amen. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pinah Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 1040 a.m. each Shabbat. And we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at roshpinah.org. Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.